Welcome back to James for Hire. I'm Matthew Perry and with Jamil King, and we are here with a very special guest, former Major League Baseball player, Richie Schaefer. Richie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. And uh, we're just going to go right through your career. And, you know, uh, you are a former Major League Baseball player, most notably with the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, you've had, I mean, you had quite the career starting in college, uh, which we will start with here. Uh, originally, you were drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 25th round of the 09 draft, I want to say. Uh, you wound up choosing Clemson instead. Was there a reason why you chose Clemson rather than going to the bigs? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was tough when you're 18. You know, it's a really tough decision to make. Um, but basically, I just had a, I had a pretty good support cast around me that was kind of advising me in, in different directions in terms of the pros and cons of each. And I was pretty committed to school. I, I really wanted to go. So I had a pretty firm number set that like, Hey, this is what I wanted to, you know, have like this, this is basically what my college education was worth to me. Like I have to get X amount of dollars for me to forego college. And, um, you know, even though I had a couple, um, first round opportunities before the draft. Like I got a couple calls like, Hey, if we picked you at 14, if we picked you at 13, would you go? Um, they just weren't, you know, the money wasn't right for me to think that like that was worth passing up college. And that was basically it. I mean, it was a difficult conversation to try to turn down a million dollars at 18 years old, but um, it's something that, you know, I look back on, I'm like, man, I'm glad I don't have to make a decision now. <laughs> it's almost good to be young when you make it. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what'd you wind up majoring in at Clemson? Uh, marketing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. How, how early did you commit to Clemson in your high school career? It was pretty early. Yeah, it was pretty early. Um, so I think maybe my sophomore year of high school was when I had my big like breakout, you know, where I started getting a lot of publicity, um, you know, for, from college scouts and pro scouts and all that. So Clemson was the first school I visited and I just sort of fell in love with it right away. And then basically every school I went to, I just kind of found myself comparing it to Clemson. And so I'm like, all right, like this, this one seems like the obvious choice for me. I don't know. It just something about it clicked right away and I love it. And I look back on, I'm glad that, you know, that was the decision I made because um, I still love it. So it was, it was early. It was early. So you played for the Tigers uh, 2010 through 2012. You wound up playing with a couple of fellow big leaguers and uh, Brad Miller and Dominic Leon. Uh, yep. Uh, your freshman year, I want to say you played in the college world series. Uh, how was that? How was that experience? Oh, it's awesome. It was the best. Um, so we were actually, my 2010 was the last year of Rosenblatt stadium, like the old college world series stadium. So now they got the new one, the TD, TD Ameritrade one. And uh, it was, it's awesome. It's so cool. I mean, it was, it's weird because you have all these people there. I mean, there's like 35, 40,000 people there, but like, there's very few people actually there for a particular team. Everyone's just sort of there to like watch a cool baseball tournament. So there'd be like, there'd be like crazy, like chants going on in the outfield that have like nothing to do with the game. And people are hitting beach balls around. It feels like you're almost at like at a concert. That's like you're playing. I don't know. It's a really cool, like weird experience, but uh, it was awesome. We loved it. That definitely sounds like a unique experience and, and not one you get in the majors. Uh, you wound up finishing your college career with uh with clemson a 325 average 30 home runs definitely a solid college career wound up moving you way far up in the draft uh where you wound up getting drafted 25th overall in the 2012 mlb draft uh ahead of guys like 
Jose Barrios, Mitch Hanniger, Joey Gallo, you know, guys that are now perennial all-stars. Did it feel any different getting drafted for a second time? Um, yeah, because this one felt more real for sure. Um, I kind of knew uh, my, my senior year of high school, I broke my hammock bone in my bottom hand. Oh. Um, and so I couldn't hit for most of my senior year. And that hampered a lot of like my ability for scouts to see me and stuff like that. So I don't want to say that injury sort of made my decision for me, but it definitely hurt my chances of actually going. So I kind of knew the number that I said I wasn't going to get out of high school. Now, but the second time around, there was no going back. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't going to go back for my senior year. This was like, I was pretty much a lock first rounder. And I was like, this is, you know, going to now it just depends on like where exactly you're going to go. So it definitely was, it was almost more nerve wracking then because it was like, this is real now for sure. Uh, and then a few years later, you finally get the call up uh, the specific day, August 3rd, 2015. Oh, uh, for two in your, in your uh, big league debut, but you guys got the win over the White Sox. Walk us through that day. You know, how did, how did it feel getting called up to the big leagues, you know, hanging out with the, the big league guys. And I mean, being on that level. It was incredible. Um, it was awesome because I, I had a really rare circumstance because I actually wasn't in major league spring training that year either. I was in minor league spring training. Um, I was like repeating double a, so I had like a really, you know, improbable, even though I was a first rounder and I had a lot of like hype order, they were, they were really trying to like be conservative with me. And I just sort of like hit my way to the big leagues that year. I just like had a really good year and they just kind of kept pushing me along. But so like, I didn't know, I didn't know any of the guys up there. I didn't know the, I didn't know Kevin cash really well. I didn't know, you know, any of the bench coaches. I didn't really know any of those guys. Like I never wore, I'll never forget. I tell people all this time. But like my first day of batting practice, like right when I got to Chicago, I took BP for the first time. It was the first time I ever wore a one ear flap helmet. I literally wore oh. it during batting practice. Cause it was so, I didn't know anything. I only know the big, you know, what they call them in the uh, astronaut helmets, uh, the two ear flap ones, the minor league guys wear, and they look horrible, but like the cool big league one year flap helmets that all like the minor league guys just like dream of. I, I never worn one of those. So I actually wore it during BP. I looked like a, like an idiot. Everyone else was wearing hats. Like, what are you doing? But it was the first time I'd ever worn one. So I wanted to try it out, but it was, it was incredible. And then I got hit by a pitch on my first at bat. So <laughs> was there, was there one guy on your first, on your first day in the majors that kind of helped you, you know, ease your nerves a little bit. Was there a teammate that was, that was really there for you? Uh, I mean, yeah, I talk about it a lot and, and Evan Longoria was a guy that really took me under his wing. Um, he had had a, a similar, if not more expedited path than I had. And we were both third basements coming out of college, first round guys by Tampa, all that kind of stuff. And obviously he's super, superstar, right? I mean, he's like the cream of the crop what you would aspire to be as a big leaguer. So he was really, um, he was really good about, you know, helping me out, showing me the ropes, doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was one of those guys where it's like, you know, like, so at my first day, the next day when I was actually like in the team hotel, getting ready to go and everything, like he was the first guy to reach out like, Hey, do you want to take a cab to the field? Like, let's go together, all that kind of stuff. So um, he was awesome. And then I had a couple of buddies who I had kind of come up the minor leagues with that were there currently. And, and obviously it was great. Like Kevin Kiermaier was there and um, Kirk Asali, a couple other guys I came up the minor leagues with. Speaking of the next day, though, uh, you get your first MLB hit. It's a solo shot, a uh, big win over the White Sox. A uh, little bit of personal trivia for you. Can you recall the exact situation? I would, I would think so, but I, I have it right here in the notes. I want to see how much you can get of the, of the line, like inning, count, you know, yeah. who's, on the, who's on the mound. Um, I, yeah, Daniel Webb was pitching. Yeah. Uh, it was like, I don't know, maybe the – 
it was later in the game, maybe seventh or eighth inning. Top seven, yep. Top seven, okay. Seventh inning, um, three two count, I believe. Three one count, three two, three two maybe. Two two, so two two, close. Two, two two, ah, two two, okay. It's like two two. The fastball down and away. Um, there's no one on bases solo. As Dribble Cabrera had just hit a home run right before that, um, and then. Uh, it's like, yeah, solo shot to, to right field. Melky Cabrera almost robbed it by like literally like an inch. Um, but yeah, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty cool. So you have uh, you have four other uh, major league career home runs. Can you name the pitchers you hit those off of? Unfortunately, yeah. I wish I could, but they're just not. There's like, If you have five of them, you can kind of name all of them, right? I wish I had yeah. more homers, so I didn't know if I like had a home run. But yeah, I had, um, yeah, I had um, Daniel Webb. Mm-hmm. Robbie Ross, Heath Hembry, Bartolo Colon, and Ibaldo Jimenez. Yep, nailed it. It's a pretty it, impressive memory. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's only five of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard to remember. It's only yeah. five of them. But I wish there was more of them, but those are some many events. Yeah, those are some pretty quality pitchers, too. I mean, Bartolo, you know, he's a he's a fan favorite. And uh, the Robbie Ross home run specifically was at Fenway over the yeah. monster. Uh, speaking, I mean, Fenway is obviously a classic stadium. Do you have a favorite stadium that you got to play in? Yeah, I mean Fenway is up there for sure. I mean it's 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 so cool, especially like obviously uh, my big league career wasn't as long as I would have liked, but the fact that I do have a home run over the monster is like it's that part's pretty incredible. You can kind of always say that. Um, you're a kid growing up, you always dream about like hitting a home run over the green monster. It's pretty yeah. sweet. Um, but I loved uh, I love Toronto. I love Toronto because like at the time in 2015 they were you know in first place in the division that's when they had like Bautista and Canacion Donaldson that team was just like nuts and so yeah. they would get like 50,000 people there it's just it was going it was incredible I think it was more the atmosphere maybe than the stadium but regardless um Yankee Stadium was awesome um I love Texas I'm kind of ashamed that they got rid of the stadium but yeah it was, those are there's a bunch of cool ones yeah there's not many bad ones <laughs> you know that's true Get, getting yeah. to play in any mlb stadium is really an honor when it, when it comes down to it yeah uh then november 16 hits uh 2016 hits and you know you've been with the rays for your entire big league career uh you've made it all the way up uh, on and off you got the call up a couple of times and uh they trade you in the offseason uh you and taylor motter head out to seattle in exchange for kidridge and, and two prospects uh, how'd you find out you were traded and just walk, walk me through how that felt. Cause I, that's a unique feeling for everybody. Yeah. It sucked. <laughs> There's not really a better way of putting it. I was bummed. Um, I was driving, I was on the road. I was driving somewhere. I think, I think I was driving back actually from Clemson to my house in Charlotte. It was like near Christmas time. So I think we were at my in-laws lake house near Clemson and we were driving back home and I got a call on the road that I've been traded. Um, and so being, being traded is a weird feeling. Cause it's like on one side, you feel like the team that's trading you is sort of like, you know, kind of getting rid of you or giving up on you and like not wanting anymore. But then you also have this other team that's like wanting you now. So it's like a, this, this, um, you know, bittersweet type thing, but it was just tough for me because obviously being the team you got drafted by, you have some semblance of like, um, you know, loyalty to them or whatever, or, you know, this, this attachment to them. So that part, that part was tough. And I just knew that, like, I knew when you get traded from the team that drafted you, you just, unless you get traded for like, now, if I got traded for some super prospect or like a really good player, then obviously that team is much more, um, 
has a much more like a better, bigger interest in you succeeding. So they're going to give you more opportunities. But if you get traded right. like in a, in a, you know, mid, mid-level trade or whatever, then it doesn't, you know, they're, they're, as, as you know, like as maybe you're about to say, like you get DFA'd like right away. So it's like, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine it's a good feeling, especially with the relationships you developed in, in Tampa with teammates and fans and, and everything like that. Uh, but you, you were traded and you were unfortunately DFA'd a few weeks later and then bounced around the waiver wire a couple of teams before signing a minor league deal in Milwaukee. How's the waiver wire? It's like, is it, it's in limbo, right? You're, are, did you, you don't buy a house in any of those locations, right? You're just kind of moving around. Oh no, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was fortunate that like all of my claims were in the off season. So all that just happened on phone calls from my house. Like I would just, I never, I was just at home in Charlotte in the off season, like hanging out. So I was fortunate that I actually wasn't like going places, but um, yeah, the, the waiver wire is weird because and this is without fail every time. And, and and I can't speak for other guys' experiences, but for me, I got DFA'd four times and like I got traded and then DFA'd so five total transactions in the course of like five weeks. And each time I was getting picked up, the GM called me. So like when I got traded, Jerry DePoto was on the phone, like, Richie, we're so excited to have you. Blah, blah, blah. And then when you get, when you get DFA'd, it's always like some like fifth guy down the totem pole that like guy I've never heard of. That's like, DFAing you, you know what I mean? Like, wait, like, where's where's the GM? Isn't he like gonna talk to him? Like, nah, you're you're DFA, get out of here. I'm like, okay, so so and then that happens every time. Then when you get claimed off waivers, the GM calls you and tells him how much he loves you and how much you're gonna be a great fit. And then when you get DFA again, it's you know the you know like the the ball boy calls you. And you're like, okay, sick. You know, like what the heck. Um, but yeah, it's it, that's a weird time because you don't know what's gonna happen and you don't know if you're gonna get claimed. And it's like usually only like 72 hours, but it just feels a lot longer. Yeah, it must not, it must also not be a good feeling kind of lying in wait, seeing where you'll wind up playing next season. Uh, but you wound up signing that minor league deal with the Brewers and wound up playing out that 2018 season before seemingly moving on from baseball. Uh, before we get into what you currently have going on, which I know you have a book out right now on Amazon, which we'll get into in a second. I'm going to share my screen. Uh, I have a few questions about your current Wikipedia photo. Okay. Because uh, when I was doing my research, it presented some questions. So if you could explain this. I, I don't know why that picture is on my Wikipedia page. I don't know. <laughs> so this was at McDill Air Force Base. I was probably 22 years old, maybe. I might have been, I might have gotten drafted the year prior. Um, all I know is because I still have like a buzz cut. That's kind of how basically how I base it off of whatever. But like, so I don't know, Wikipedia like is so weird. Obviously you don't like put your own stuff on Wikipedia. I've had, I've tried to get them to like change this picture to like something just generally really more relevant. I don't know why. Okay, so this is at McDill Air Force Base. We were at the team with a bunch of minor league guys doing like a tour of the Air Force Base um, because McDill Air Force Base in Tampa right there is a big Air Force Base is really cool. So it, right. I had a great time there. And then they asked if someone wanted to, to try an MRE. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll do it. Sure. Why not? You know what I mean? And so I was trying a MRE here and they did like a photo op for the paper or something for it. And then this is for whatever reason, the picture they chose. Uh, I don't know. It's been like that literally for I mean, I got drafted in 2012, so I've been in 2013. So it's almost been eight years that this picture's yeah. been on there. So I don't know. I've been trying to get them to change it a bunch. I don't understand it, but you know, whatever. It's a talking point, I guess, but I <laughs> don't know. Yeah, my, my stepdad's in the army, actually. So I've tried the MREs. Uh, did you like it? 
I mean, they're they're definitely an acquired yeah, taste. It was pretty good. I mean, I had the beef stroganoff one. I'm pretty sure and that one was not bad. So it was okay. It was pretty good. You know. Yeah, I mean, Nothing too crazy. I mean, I feel like army food should be a little better, but I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, let's move into what you got going on. Uh, tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah. Um, so I started writing kind of at the back end of my baseball career. I needed something to like kind of help take my mind off of sort of like the stress and anxiety of baseball and stuff like that. And I started writing, kind of really fell in love with it. And um, it was basically during like my 2017 season. I started writing. I had this, this idea for a story. I'm a big sci-fi fan. Um, I have love like sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that. I'm a big nerd like that. And um, I had this idea for a book. And so I was like, you know what? I'll just start writing it in my downtime or whatever. So like every night after games, I'd write little by little. And I just kind of kept doing it. I looked up at the end of the season. I had this like 400 page story written. I was like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So then over the, over the next like three years, I chipped away at like editing it and trying to make it more presentable. And then when I finally retired in 2020 last year, because after, so after in 2018, when I was with the Brewers in 2019, I was a free agent. I didn't get a job anywhere. I went and played independent ball um, for a year in, in the Atlantic league. And, um, and once I didn't get any opportunities after that, I decided it was time for me to like, you know, retire, go get my degree, go finish my degree. And then I had this downtime in 2020 where I was like, I might not have another opportunity like this again. I want to finish this book. So um, it's called the eight of earth, the eight of earth. And um, it's just a story of the last eight humans in existence that uh, grow up on an alien planet and like an alien society. And basically they have to either figure out a way to like resurrect humanity or they're doomed to be the last of it. So it's on Amazon right now. It's, um, it's done pretty well. It's done a lot better than I expected. So it's pretty cool. I mean, it's like four years of, of blood, sweat and tears and that and something like completely different right you know it's yeah. like a challenge to prove that you, you're not just like a one-dimensional person so yeah hard work pays off uh, the aid of earth will will link the amazon uh url down in the description how's writer's block for you how frustrating can that be because i know every every author gets it yeah it's tough i mean it was funny it was almost like i worried when i was done playing that it was gonna be harder for me to write because a lot of times like what fueled my writing was like me being super pissed off being over four with like four punch outs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I would be furious after like chasing sliders in the dirt and I'd come home and write some like anger filled action scene. You know what I mean? Just like <laughs> dump all my like frustrations into a book. And then when that was end, like when that was over, I was like, man, I'm like not mad at anything anymore. I was like, am I going to have this, like, am I going to have this, you know, emotional resonance to like actually put into a book? Um, but it has, it hasn't been an issue. So, I mean, but I actually, I mean, I haven't, uh, I still chip away at some little things here and there, but like the moment I was done with the book, I kind of switched over to like marketing that. So I haven't actually sat down and and started writing um, in a little bit. I have my next like book idea that I'm ready to go for. Um, it involves like a giant conspiracy with like fortune cookies and the Powerball, you know? So sounds interesting. You know, sure. like the little numbers that are on the back of a fortune cookie fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got this like story where that's like a giant conspiracy that like Chinese food restaurants are like. A, a, some kind of Illuminati for like the Powerball. <laughs> People are like winning, uh, winning money through the Powerball on their fortune cookie tickets. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how it goes. So that's an that's an interesting idea to be sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to seeing that if it ever if it ever finds the light of day. But uh, Jamil, do you have any questions before we head out? Uh, where, are you back in the Carolinas now? Is that where I, you're staying, staying at? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I live in Charlotte. Um, I love it. I mean, I've got the opportunity to go all across the country and I've had the chance to see every city big and small basically that 
us has to offer and i just i love charlotte i think it's got the combination of big city feel with like you know it's accessible enough it's not crazy expensive so i love it yeah and do you ever pull up to your local uh softball game and just drop dingers and then go home i did a couple days uh like maybe in october of last year there was like a big charity game um going on in south carolina for youth diabetes and they invited me to come down i was like yeah sure so i came there just hitting tanks <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> it was fun i had a good time yeah, hitting dingers for a good cause always a good time but uh, Richie, thank you very much for, for spending a little bit of time with us, telling you, telling us about your career and what you got going on now. Uh, it really means a lot to us. And um, yeah. No, I appreciate it. You know, good luck with the rest of the, uh, with your podcast guys. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and thank you thank everyone. You. Yeah. And thank you, Richie. And, and thank you guys for watching. And uh, this has been GMs for Hire. We'll see you next time.